Um, it's a mental health condition that's super stigmatized and, in my opinion, not talked about mm -hmm. enough. Welcome to the Parents Place podcast with Hillary and Jen. Welcome to the Parents Place podcast today. We have a special guest with us today. So this is one of our colleagues. This is Kit. Um, and we are excited because Kit is going to share a little bit about the experiences in your life and um, a little bit about your story of resilience. So we'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Okie doke. Hi, uh, I'm Kit. I'm an intern in the education department at the Family Place. Uh, the internship is part of getting my bachelor's degree in social work, which I'll be finishing up in May, um, along Yay! with a degree <laughs> in psychology. Um, I have four kids between the ages of 10 and 15. And aside from working at the Family Place, I also work part-time as a mentor for youth in the foster care system, mm. which is all kinds of interesting. <clears throat> we can um, have a completely different podcast on that. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> Um, I wanted to come here today to share some information about borderline personality disorder, or BPD. Mm -hmm. um, it's a mental health condition that's super stigmatized and, in my opinion, not talked about mm -hmm. enough. Um, it can have a lot of different challenges and everyone experiences a little bit differently, but it's generally characterized by a history of intense mood swings, unstable relationships, crippling fear of abandonment, and impulsivity. So a lot of people with BPD will self-harm or attempt suicide, which is often what leads to their diagnosis um, mm -hmm. in the first place. So uh, people with BPD, they experience very intense emotions. So what makes one person feel sadness can make someone with BPD feel genuine grief, um, which often comes across as overreacting to basic things. But they're just reacting to what they're actually feeling. Um, fear can actually like become terror, like it's mm -hmm. magnetized also. Um, but so is happiness. So it's mm -hmm. not like it's all bad. <laughs> but um, like when I was little, I was accused of being dramatic and of overreacting for basically everything in my life. But I was just reacting to what I was feeling mm -hmm. and what I was feeling is different than what other people would have been feeling in the same circumstances. So. When you combine the sadness equals grief with the fear of abandonment, mm -hmm. someone, when you're little at least, someone going out to get groceries feels like they're never coming mm -hmm. back again. And that's that can create a lot of grief and intense um, fear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, so these intense feelings, they were hard for the people with BPD to deal with, but they're also hard for the people around us to deal with. Um, our loved ones often end up walking on eggshells because they fear explosions of anger or sadness. Um, unfortunately, this does extend to our children. So it's really difficult for BPD to not affect your kids in some way, especially when you don't even realize you have it. So you're not trying to necessarily control the symptoms. Um, Aside from the intensity, people with BPD can have really quick mood swings. So you'll be experiencing grief for a whatever period of time, and then 20 minutes later, you're totally fine and ready to move on with your day. Mm. So my ex-husband said it gave him emotional whiplash, mm. and I think that's a really good description of 
the effect it has on the people we love because we're totally fine. And then they're still dealing with the fact that we just exploded. Hmm. So um, another major symptom is impulsivity. So we tend to do things now without considering the consequences later, um, which a lot of times looks like buying something we don't have the money for, starting an argument with a loved one because it's important now, even though it's not important in the long run, or even acting on intrusive thoughts. Um, And if you don't know what intrusive thoughts are, they're a big part of BPD and other certain diagnoses, but basically your brain gives you suggestions about what you could or should do. And those are often really, really bad ideas. Mm -hmm. Like, running your car into a telephone pole Mm. or calling your ex like really bad ideas and so this is why people with bpd sometimes struggle with things like shoplifting or lying Mm. because you're walking past it and your brain says you should take that and Mm. then you just do no real reason no real reason to do it you just do and that's kind of what an intrusive thought is like and they're like i said usually really bad ideas so i'm here today mostly because i want people who have BPD to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that the symptoms can be controlled at least to some degree. Um, And I want people who have loved ones with BPD to understand a little of what that person is going through Mm -hmm. because more information means more choices and that's never a bad thing. Um, BPD is super stigmatized, especially in media, but I'm proof that it's possible to have a reasonably, reasonably stable life at some point. Um, That's the end of my blurb. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, before this, I knew very little about BPD, so that was incredibly helpful to hear some of those. Most people do know very little about it because, like I said, it's not talked about a lot and it's really stigmatized. So people who get a diagnosis freak out because to them BPD means someone is, like, intensely insane. (laughs) Like, it can, and it can be sometimes. Like, some people with BPD are really, like, not functional and is it a fairly new diagnosis in the medical world or has it been around for a while it's been around for a long time but it's just so stigmatized that people like medical professionals sometimes don't want to hand it out because telling someone they have bpd doesn't always go super well Mm -hmm. um and they'll stop treatment at that point so they just kind of like Mm -hmm. can keep it under wraps so that the person keeps coming back or Hmm. sometimes people who most of the people who have bpd aren't open about mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that they have it because it's stigmatized and as soon as okay. you be like i have bpd people think you're going to go completely off the rails okay. so makes me think of a client way way back when and i and i had heard that she had this diagnosis <coughs> but didn't know anything <coughs> and now i'm thinking back to her going hmm, yeah now i understand Sad which that it's <laughs> well which is why we're so grateful that you're here because creating that understanding as to this is why I do what I do or this is why I act what I act. And we do. We have more empathy. We have more uh, commonality. We have more understanding. And so (coughs) thank you for bringing this to light so that we know and that we can better help those individuals around us. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what we need to do. Um, So when were you diagnosed in your Um, life? (coughs) So I wasn't diagnosed until... About five years ago, so I was like 33. Okay. So I've basically lived my entire life with this and didn't even really know. Um, So when my husband at the time said that he didn't want to be married to me anymore, 
I didn't take it super well, uh, though there comes that fear of abandonment mm-hmm. and that big emotions is, equals grief mm-hmm. and all this other fun stuff kicked in. Um, so it was a couple months later after I was like trying to deal with all of that, that I attempted suicide for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's when um, <clears throat> I ended up in a behavioral health unit for about six days. And that's where um, I got diagnosed. Okay. So after that, I had, <coughs> excuse me, some ineffective therapy for inconsistent therapy, mm-hmm. I should say, for about a year um, and ultimately had another episode hmm. at that point. So I didn't attempt that time, but I did call 911 to prevent myself from doing so, mm-hmm. which also gets you hospitalized. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was only for like a day and a half. And then I started therapy right after being released that time. So I've been with the same therapist since then for like three and a half years now. Okay. Um, I go mostly weekly, even through COVID, lots of telehealth. Yes. Um, and I did about a year of group therapy on top of my weekly visits. And at this point, three years in, I can go every two to three weeks and generally be okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't do the group therapy part anymore. Okay. So. <clears throat> so receiving that diagnosis later on in life. Um, I'm sure you had a lot of those moments where, you know, you're self-reflecting on different situations and you're like, that makes so much more sense. Did you have parents and siblings and friends that kind of had that realization as well, too, when you Um, told them that? Friends, yes. Um, I'm not super close with my family, Mm -hmm. so they don't, like, I told them about my diagnosis and they were just like, cool, whatever. Mm. Doesn't really matter to them. Um, Uh, my ex-husband looked into it a lot when I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that my kids are, like, fully aware. Like, I feel like I've mentioned it, but sometimes I mention things to my kids, and they're like, we've never talked about that. And I'm like, we've I talked about that literally, sure like, have. four times. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, like, I, I swear, like, we, we've had the, the birds and the bees talk, like, multiple times, and they still seem to have no clue <laughs> what I'm talking about when I bring stuff up. And I'm like, I know we've talked about this. Yeah. So I feel like this goes about the same uh-huh. The same way. But um, looking back on my life, I do have a lot of those moments. I distinctly mm-hmm. remember a time when I was about 12 years old that my mom scheduled a doctor's appointment that overlapped with the most recent episode of Power Rangers. Wow. And it was not good. Like, I had, like, a four-hour <laughs> screaming meltdown. She had to cancel the doctor's appointment mm-hmm. because I couldn't get in the car. And it was, like, this whole big thing, and I was 12. So, mm-hmm. uh, I remember moments like that mm. pretty easily. So. You can understand <clears throat> that about Power Rangers. <laughs> I really liked that Blue Ranger, okay? I just, I I still watch. I just finished. to those episodes. <laughs> I, was. I was in high school. I come home and watch Power Rangers. <laughs> Power Rangers. <laughs> and Thundercats. That was the other one oh, I watched. Oh, goodness. Do you feel like if you were to have received that diagnosis earlier in life, it could have potentially helped or prevented certain things? I mean, possibly if I was willing to accept it at that point. Like when I was a teenager, I was, I don't want to use the word crazy, but I was not stable Mm -hmm. um, as a teenager. And I knew at the time that I was not stable, but I also knew that like that was just me and that was my normal Mm-hmm. And therefore, to me, it was okay that I was unstable. So I'm not sure that I would have accepted a diagnosis uh-huh. at that point or even, like, in my early 20s. But, like, 
towards my early 20s when I had like postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. I was more willing to accept a diagnosis. So like at that point, I feel like it would have done me some good. But I don't know that I would have been in a space where I was able to do all of the self-reflecting and the self-work that was necessary because at that point I had babies Mm -hmm. and all of my energy was focused on keeping my children alive. And so working on me was lower down on the totem pole. Um, So after my kids were a little bit older, I probably would have accepted it. But when I was 33, my youngest was like, I don't know, six. Mm -hmm. I'd have to do math and I'm not good at math. (laughs) That's Um, not why we're here. It's okay. (laughs) So like he was still really little and I was still focused on my family, but um, less so than when I had babies that weren't sleeping Mm -hmm. and things like that. So um, that was... Yeah, I don't think I necessarily would have accepted it earlier, mm-hmm. much earlier anyways. Mm-hmm. But um, I do feel like if I had gotten a diagnosis and had accepted it and had started working on it, I probably would not be divorced. Um, mm-hmm. But it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So, and this is where we are. Yeah. And I am a lot more stable and a lot better now than I was five years ago. So. Fantastic. <clears throat> I like that when you said that you waited until you had time for you to focus on it. And I think that's the hard thing with people who are wanting to go into therapy or do go Mm -hmm. into therapy Mm -hmm. and they're thinking, Oh, I'll go, I'll sit, I'll talk and it'll be all good. But there's a lot of self work. Like you were talking, Mm -hmm. you all look inside and be willing to do Mm -hmm. that work. And sometimes sitting there for maybe a couple of sessions, you're like, yeah, I need to do, do the work but i think lots of people just think by going it's going to solve it. everything mm-hmm. yeah yeah you got to do you got to do some hard things and i appreciate that you mentioned you know even if i were to have known this earlier on i was i was in that muck of motherhood where it's in survival mode <laughs> exactly even if i did know i probably wouldn't have done much about it because most of my energy and attention was was being divvied out to my children. And I think that's the reality for so many people, that they're like, I know I should probably be doing something here, but I can't. Because on the priority list, it's just not one of the top tiers. Which is unfortunate, because it does really need to be, especially Mm -hmm. with something like BPD, because it does affect your parenting, and it does affect your children. And the sooner that you get help, the, the less potential damage. I don't want to say damage because children are never damaged, but the less potential damage that you're going to be doing to your children and their own mental health Mm -hmm. because your giant mood swings that are constantly up and down and your explosions of anger and sadness, that affects them and they can end up feeling like they're walking on eggshells Mm -hmm. and they're just a little kid and they don't understand that it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. And Having BPD isn't my fault either. Like, the person who has BPD, like, it's not their fault. They don't choose it. It's genetics and mostly environment. Mm -hmm. Um, But it still affects the children, and they don't necessarily understand it. And so that's the hard part, because when you're in survival mode with your parenting, you don't feel like you have time to put the energy into working on yourself because it really is a lot of energy it's not like depression where you can take a pill and it Mm -hmm. feels better not that pills automatically cure depression but like you know what I mean you can't just medicate it away you actually have to like put the work into learning new coping skills and learning emotional regulation and 
all there's a lot of work that goes into it and you feel like you don't have time for that but mm. it's super important to find time for that otherwise you're going to end up with like me with a 13 year old who walks on eggshells and hates being around me because she's mm. worried that I'm going to blow up at any time even though I haven't blown up in like 2 years she still remembers me blowing mm. up a lot and so therefore doesn't really want to be around me and maybe if I had worked on it sooner we wouldn't be in family therapy working on our relationship now. So. So let's talk, which by the way, my child remembers the one time I forgot to pick him up from school out of all the times. <laughs> they remember that one time, right? How long ago? <laughs> oh, it was when he was in like first grade. He's in middle school now. It's like, remember that one time? Because I guess I remember that <coughs> one time. We have, <laughs> we have a running joke in my family because one time when my daughter, she's now almost 14, when she was like maybe four, uh-huh. we were in Salt Lake City. We'd gone to see the lights in Temple Square. And we were crossing the street afterwards, and the countdown was like mm-hmm. way too small for getting little kids across the busy street. And so I was like, uh-oh. And so I was holding her hand, and I started running. And she tripped because she couldn't keep up and uh-huh. she fell down and she like scraped her knee. She was totally fine. But for years yes. after that, she was like, do you remember that time in Salt Lake where you pushed me down in the middle of the road? Oh, <laughs> Their perception. Uh, and so now. <coughs> yes, I was to remember. I remember I was trying to keep you safe and avoid being exactly. hit by a car. I do remember that time. Yes, I shoved you down in the middle of the road. <clears throat> but now there's just a running joke that anytime the kids bring up. Something from like a long time ago. We're like, do you remember that time in Salt Lake? Oh my goodness! Because <laughs> yeah, that's how she always started down. it. Do you mm-hmm. remember that time in Salt Lake yeah. when you? Yes, I do remember. <laughs> well, I think with the self care and making sure, I think every mom thinks that they shouldn't put themselves at the top oh, yeah. of the list. And really, I think that's a mindset we need to change, just across the board. Mm-hmm. Is and I know self help or, or not self help, um, self care. Is like the hot topic it's the right new now, thing. Mm-hmm. but it's so so important for people that have mental health issues, for people who postpartum. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just if you're having your normal, oh yeah, everyday day, you need to have time for yourself. Yeah. And I, I, if I could figure out how to make everybody believe that, I would be a wealthy woman. <laughs> One day. One day. <laughs> okay, so let me ask this question. Um, what do you find works best for you when it comes to emotional regulation? You mentioned uh, that in yourself. So yes. what works best for you? Um, not mindfulness and meditation. Really? Which is really going to be pushed if you're <laughs> seeking treatment yes. for BPD because mindfulness is supposed and meditation that's supposed to be what calms down your mm. your eye system, if you will. Uh-huh. Your your body when it gets upset, it releases all of those hormones and mindfulness and meditation, that's supposed to be what calms it down. But that is not what calms my body down. Like I, I also have ADHD, which for the record, a lot of people with BPD also mm. have ADHD and the symptoms overlap a lot. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like sitting there and focusing on five sounds that I mm-hmm. can hear, like mm-hmm. that's not a thing for my brain. Mm. Like if I sit there and it's quiet, my brain's going to be like, well, let's see what I have to do today. Like I can't just focus on the five sounds mm. around me. So That does not work. That works for a lot of people. I am not one of those people. So if I'm feeling really big emotions, um, I will 
let's see, talking to people helps Mm -hmm. me and, and not even necessarily talking about what I'm feeling or why. Like if I'm super mad, I can just be like, I'm super mad and I would like to have a conversation about cooking dumplings. Just like Mm. talking Mm -hmm. to someone, I guess maybe it's kind of a distraction maybe, Um, but it lets me talk a mile a minute like I need to and without having to trauma dump on them and use them as emotional support necessarily. So that helps me a lot. Um, I hate to say this, and you have to be very careful with this particular coping skill, but throwing things is very useful. Um, I have a collection of rice socks, which is literally just like a toddler sock Mm -hmm. stuffed with rice, Mm -hmm. and I will throw it at the wall. And not when there's other people around because throwing things can be scary. So, like, you definitely don't want to do it when your children are around or when people you have already traumatized are around. Um, but when I'm by myself, I will throw socks or um, bouncy balls work. Mm-hmm. You can throw them at the wall. Um, it's safe. It's effective. <clears throat> you just have to make sure that it's not upsetting anyone mm-hmm. around you when you're throwing stuff. So... Um, But that really helps me get out that pent-up energy. Because, like, a lot of people, they'll go for a run or they'll clean their kitchen Mm -hmm. or things like that. But I actually have, like, a physical condition as well. And so running and cleaning my kitchen, like, a lot of times I simply do not have the Mm. physical capacity to do those things. And even when I have all of that energy... If I were to go for a run, then as soon as my body calms down, I'm done for the day. Like, I don't have energy to do literally anything else. And so I can't use my energy to do those things because then I will overdo it. And so I have to get rid of the energy, but in ways that don't use all of my physical spoons or my physical energy Mm -hmm. because I still need to be able to function after I'm done with that meltdown, which, like I said, there's quick mood swings. So that meltdown will last like Mm -hmm. 20 minutes, maybe an hour, and then I'm fine. So if I use up all of my energy in that one hour of my day, I I can't Mm -hmm. do anything else for the rest of the day. So, So, yeah, my coping skills may not be what is highly recommended, but a lot of coping with BPD and coping with the big feelings is going to be finding what works yeah. for you specifically. And if there, and if you read something that says, oh, mindfulness should be working, <clears throat> it's great if it works. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, find something else. Mm-hmm. Don't keep doing the things that don't work so that you keep affecting yourself and the people around you. Mm-hmm. Like, keep looking for things that work. And a lot of people with BPD choose really unhealthy coping skills Mm -hmm. like self-harm or substance abuse or excessive spending because they're looking basically for a dopamine fix. Mm -hmm. And that's what you get when you do those things. And so the goal is to find healthy coping mechanisms that are effective. And so the balance between them, because those unhealthy coping mechanisms, they do tend to be effective. They're just unhealthy. They're not Mm. good for you. They're not good for the people around you. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find the healthy one (coughs) that, that works for you. And that's, that's the main goal. And that's the whole group therapy thing that I went to for a year. A huge chunk of it was Mm. like figuring out your coping skills and what works for you. So, so what is most helpful for people in your life when you are having maybe those mood swings or, um, having extreme feelings, what's the best way they could help someone? 
with BBT? Um, hmm. Like, for me, when I'm having those feelings, I mostly just avoid people mm-hmm. because I don't have – I'm divorced and my kids are little. Like, I don't have a huge emotional support system mm-hmm. myself, so I don't have anyone most of the time that's wanting to, like, help me with those big feelings. And so I just – I know that my mo- that it'll pass mm-hmm. soon, and I just have to push through it. And so I will go back to my house, and I will pet my animals, and I will read a book and or do something along those lines until it passes, and then I can rejoin society. Um, but I don't feel like it's good for me to be part of society when I'm feeling mm. those big feelings because I might throw my phone at the wall. You know, I've had a, to replace a couple of phones because I threw <laughs> them at the wall. Um, don't throw your phone at the wall. It's not worth the, the expense, no, the financial expense. Do a rice sock instead. It's much cheaper. <laughs> um, but what was the question? How can people support oh, right. this? Um, the most important thing someone can do to support someone with BPD, which seems kind of counterintuitive, is put your own oxygen mask on first. Because people with BPD, their giant emotions will suck hmm. all of the oxygen out of the room Mm -hmm. and all of the attention will be focused on them because their needs in that moment are really high and that's totally fine if someone has really high needs that that's okay that's not necessarily a bad thing the problem is that when you have BPD you have really high needs really often Mm -hmm. and that exhausts the people around you and that is a lot for those people to deal with So one of the most important things you can do to support someone with BPD is to support yourself first so that Mm -hmm. you don't get burned out so that you can continue to be there. And with BPD, there is that fear of abandonment. And so if you need to step away from someone um, because you can't handle their emotions at that point, like the best thing to do is try to do it carefully and also while reassuring them that you're coming back Mm -hmm. because if you're just like I'm done and you walk out of the room like that's gonna set them Mm -hmm. off even more at least it does me not everyone with BPD is the same but however I am less triggered if someone's like listen you're a lot right now and I need to go take a few breaths but I'll come back Mm -hmm. and so that reassurance that they're coming back like it still hurts that they're walking away Mm -hmm. but it's a lot better than if they're just like Mm, done and leaving so but you have to be able if you're supporting someone with BPD you have to be able to calmly say those things Mm -hmm. and so if you're waiting to walk away until like you are literally done you're not going to want to reassure that person because you're probably going to be mad at them or upset with them in some way or triggered yourself so basically the most important thing you can do is to take care of yourself first because there isn't a lot that you can do to reassure someone with BPD in the middle of a meltdown. It's kind of like, I mean, I don't want to compare grownups to children, but it's sort of the same as when a child is like really having a meltdown. Like anything you say is not going to get through to Mm -hmm. them at that point. They have to calm themselves down. And so there is some co-regulation that you can try doing, but we're talking about adults here. There's only so much, you can't time in an adult. Like, Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of co-regulation. So you can be like, breathe with me or like, let's do the five finger breathing. Or you can try and get them to um, engage in some mindfulness or you can Mm -hmm. hand them a rice sock and be like, would you like to throw this at the wall? So you can give them those suggestions, but you're not probably not going to be able to talk them out of 
whatever mm-hmm. emotions that they're mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. And so even if their emotions are completely wrong and you know that they're completely wrong, like if they're like, oh, no one cares about me, no one loves me, I'm so alone, that's not true. But in their brain, it is true. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to convince them it's not. So the best part is to just try and get them, try and help them calm their body. Or if you can't do that, like if that, if they're too much for you, then you need to walk away and let them figure it out on their own. Because, I mean, BPD isn't someone's fault. They don't choose to have it. But it also isn't a free pass to mistreat the people mm-hmm. around us. So we have to be mindful of how we're affecting the people around us and the people around us have to also be mindful of how we're affecting them and they have to be able to set those boundaries and take care of themselves to at least some degree so so you mentioned oh completely no i love that um you mentioned that part of your journey is uh therapy and and you don't have to dive into detail about this but you may mention that you know that initial process of going through therapy didn't necessarily work <laughs> to it to a degree um what would be your would do you have any suggestions or advice on finding that right therapist and and finding those those skills that work for you because like you said i would make the assumption that most therapists would say let's work on meditation let's yeah. work on mindfulness let's work on deep breathing and if that doesn't work for you how can you be how can you advocate or how do you find find that out for yourself? Um, a lot of it is, I mean, don't be afraid to shop for a therapist. Mm-hmm. If you go to a few sessions with someone and you don't feel heard by them yeah. or they're not giving you the information that you need, try a different therapist. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I don't want to start over. But yeah. don't be afraid to start over because some therapists are better with BPD than other Mm -hmm. therapists, just like some therapists are better at kids than adults. Mm -hmm. It's just everyone has their specialty and everybody's different, which is great because the people who are better with kids can work with kids and the people who are better with adults can work with adults and the people who are better with BPD can work with BPD. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking for a therapist, you want to try to find someone who is at least experienced with BPD um, and is willing to deal with it because the thing about people with this condition in therapy, like progress is really slow mm-hmm. and it's not unheard of for insurance to only want to pay for mm-hmm. like 10 therapy visits. Yes. Um, that's not enough. Like that's enough sometimes if you're working through like one traumatic event kind of thing. But BPD basically is like a lifelong, a lifetime of traumatic events. And so 10 sessions is not going to cut it. So you need to find a therapist who's going to be willing to work with your insurance or, I mean, hopefully you have insurance that will pay for more than 10 visits, which not everyone does, in which case then you need to make the most of those 10 visits. Mm -hmm. But we're assuming that your insurance will continue to pay. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you need to find a therapist who's willing to work with you and willing to let you make that incredibly slow progress. Like I've been in therapy for almost four years and that's like going weekly for almost four years. Like that's a lot slower progress than most people are going to make with most conditions because BPD is, it's very slow progress and that's okay Mm -hmm. and that's fine. But a lot of therapists aren't 
fully aware of exactly how slow the progress is and they're going to be like oh we're not really seeing any progress from you so maybe therapy isn't being Mm. useful but progress is slow and so you need to find a therapist who is experienced with BPD and who understands that progress is slow and most therapists have some kind of like free meet and greet kind of thing where you can go and you can ask them these questions like what's your experience with BPD like are you aware that we make slow progress like are you willing to stick this out with me um and ask those important questions and if that therapist hopefully they're going to be honest and be like Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of experience with BPD and then you can be like "Mm, maybe not so much unless you really vibe with them and then maybe you guys can learn together Mm -hmm. and that's fine too because obviously to get experience with BPD you have to work with BPD Um, so that also works if you vibe with them on like a personal level and they seem like you're you're kind of person then that's also fine and you guys can work together and I'm sure it'll turn out great Um, but that's that's my best advice for for seeking treatment also Uh, There's a model of therapy, which is the group therapy that I went to, called DBT, or Mm -hmm. Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Um, That was pretty much designed for people Mm. with BPD. Um, So try and get into a DBT group if you can. Insurance doesn't always pay for it, and they can be kind of pricey. But if your insurance pays for it, like that's that's the treatment model that you probably want because that's basically pretty much designed for people with BPD. Perfect. So um, <clears throat> I imagine that there may be some individuals that are that are listening to this podcast and either thinking to themselves, you know, as, as your story is shared, they might be saying, that sounds just like my child or that sounds like, like me mm-hmm. and my experiences in my life. Um, so for a parent that maybe has a child that they're looking at this and thinking this might be the case, um, what would be the first steps that they should take? Um, pretty much contacting a therapist okay. is going to be the best way to go. And a lot of times they won't diagnose children with BPD, mm. but smaller children can have similar symptoms and they usually just, they'll get diagnosed with a different mm-hmm. disorder. Like a lot of times they'll just get ADHD okay. a diagnosis and that's valid because the symptoms are a lot the same, which is why they don't want to diagnose kids with BPD, Mm -hmm. Um, partially because it's so stigmatized and it, the diagnosis follows you everywhere you go. And so um, kids will get diagnosed with ADHD or oppositional defiant disorder or conduct disorder, but BPD will start getting diagnosed more in the teenage years or the young adult years. Um, And not everyone with conduct disorder gets diagnosed with BPD and not everyone with BPD got diagnosed with conduct disorder and it they're all kind of linked Mm -hmm. together but not necessarily going together okay um but yeah the first step is definitely going to be um to contact a therapist okay because like a lot of people with BPD will self-harm and that usually starts in the adolescent mm-hmm. years. And so if your kid is self-harming, you want to get them into therapy anyway. Mm-hmm. And then that therapist will hopefully recognize the signs and okay. know what to do with that. So, Okay, perfect. Um, any benefit from talking to just your physician or things like that? Um, so BPD comes with other diagnoses a lot of times it comes with PTSD or depression or anxiety Mm -hmm. and so you can talk to your general physician about 
some of those symptoms, the depression and the anxiety, and they can prescribe medications for those. Mm -hmm. But even then, you still ideally want to work with a therapist because medication alone isn't really doesn't really fix depression or anxiety either. Um, But a lot of times that's all people can afford. And that's totally fine. If that's what you can afford, that's what you can afford. Mm -hmm. Um, Do it. Don't like not do it because it's not perfect. Like it's better to to do what you can do versus do nothing. Um, But and your physician can probably refer you to a therapist as well. So like a lot of insurance companies require a referral for stuff like that. So starting with your physician is not a bad idea, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to be able to you know, completely fix your symptoms with some medication. Okay. So, um, how are you doing today after um, going through this journey and continuing to go through this journey? Uh, today, like today, today, oh, sure. or like a minute no. in general, <laughs> just today, in general, these you days, say, you know, after these five plus years of finding this out about yourself and going through this journey, how do you feel like you're doing today not in the minute but (laughs) um i mean i'm mostly doing okay i'm about to graduate with two bachelor's degrees i just got accepted to the master's program so i'm about to go do that Uh, my gpa is reasonable um my kids are alive and they don't all completely hate me (laughs) um i am single because bpd destroyed my marriage which is not uncommon um but that's okay too because I've spent five years mostly focusing on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I'm mostly okay. I still have my bad days and I still have my meltdowns and I still have my issues. But and I still have my triggers. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, at this point, I do have more good days than bad days, and that's great and that's amazing progress. And I'm mm-hmm. m- a lot better at controlling my emotions and my my meltdowns and regulating myself and I'm better at knowing my triggers. I know a lot of times like what's going to make me melt down and mm-hmm. I can sometimes avoid those things or if you can't avoid them, you can at least prepare for them and that helps a lot too. Okay. Um, so if you know that going to the doctor is triggering for you, you can prepare yourself for those emotions that you're going to feel. So um, between preparing myself and avoiding my triggers when necessary and medication and therapy and trying to, I have goals that I've set and that's really important too. So between all of those factors, I think I'm mostly doing okay. So for people listening who might feel like they have BPD and that life is over, it's not like just keep going and you'll get there eventually. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kit, for coming in and sharing your experiences and advice for other people. Um, I know this can help lots of people know what to do. So we thank you and we thank our listeners for coming. And we just want to remind you to be patient and kind with yourself. And we will see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to the Parents Place podcast. If you would like to reach us, you can at parents at thefamilyplaceutah.org or you can reach Jen on Facebook, Jen Daily The Family Place. Please check out our show notes for any additional information. Our website is thefamilyplaceutah.org if you're interested in any of our upcoming virtual classes. We'd love to see you there.